2: Welcome back to this one's a doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago.
1: Mm. Amen. Reach it.
2: Welcome to a marquee episode. What does that mean? I don't know, but I think it's an important... Is it
1: a marquee like the board outside of a restaurant or yep. like a movie theater that is announcing the I movie? I think
2: I think when you use marquee like that, it it is meant to say that you should check it out. So, this is a check it out episode.
1: I'm um, you know what? I'm not going to fact check you right now at this time <laughs> of night.
2: No. no, a marquee episode would be like like this is uh notable. Like like this Isn't is a like landmark. Kind of like that. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be like a, like a, a hallmark. Yeah. Hallmark episode, landmark episode.
1: Is this really any of those things, though? Y- yes.
2: Because it's the 20th episode.
1: It's a venti episode. It's a
2: venti episode. <laughs> the ventiest. Yeah. That's Ventis. true.
1: The ventiest so far, at least. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Episode 20. We're here. We're, we're doing it.
1: We're sure doing it.
2: We sure are. Um, We've only gotten into like five fights over this podcast so far, so...
1: Have we gotten into any fights?
2: No, but...
1: I do get mad at you every time you go to check your mic and you make mouth sounds. <laughs> That's like your first sound yeah, to check your mic. I
2: do that a lot. No one else has to experience that, but...
1: That's true. How's your week going?
2: It's
0: good.
1: It's good.
2: Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for... Um, I'm ready for the, the feeling of fall to really settle in. I feel like we're just getting a very beginning touch of it here in Nebraska Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm ready for it to like, like I noticed more leaves falling today and I was like, okay, it's, it's getting close. We're starting to get there. Yeah. It'll, it'll be a minute still, I think.
1: Well, this story will definitely get you in the spooky season mood. I apologize in advance for my, uh, wheeze. (laughs) My exclamatory wheeze. Uh, I am loaded up on albuterol. I am loaded up on hot tea. I'm ready to go. But this is asthma flare-up season nice. for me. So yes. sorry for the wheeze.
2: The asthma flare up. Excellent.
1: Well, we did do my my mic check was me wheezing. <laughs> Can you hear my wheeze? Oh yeah. And gosh. you could.
2: And you could. Yep. Well, I know that you are combating your wheeze with something that you're drinking, so I think it's important to ask the question, what are you drinking tonight?
1: Well, I'm drinking a tea that I made, but I don't feel like I let it steep very long. Oh. So it's not super flavorful, but that's okay.
2: It'll get there. I mean, it's still sitting there, right?
1: Yeah, but I put cream in it, so... Oh,
2: like you steeped it before. I don't know if
1: that like stops the steeping process completely. I don't know. But... It definitely is not picking up in flavor as time goes on.
2: If you're a tea scientist, please email us at... Just kidding.
1: (laughs) I know a little bit about a lot of things, and this would be one of those things that I just know a little bit about. Mm. That would be that I know the teas that I like and that I don't like.
2: Well, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. What are you drinking?
2: I am drinking my absolute favorite beer of all time. So if you know me and you want to give me a gift sometime, I'm drinking a... Uh, vanilla bean blonde flavored infusion beer
1: yeah we do love infusion brewery here
2: infusion brewery Nebraska favorite Omaha favorite actually I think it's is it, I think it's in multiple places in the state it might not just be in Omaha but I could be wrong but anyway, it is awesome and yeah. this is definitely my favorite drink and if anybody from infusion is listening. <laughs> It uh, yes. would totally we accept
1: would, your sponsorship. Yes, Any and your sponsorship, friendship.
2: Yeah, and your friendship for no. sure.
1: <laughs> or or your friendship. Yeah. Even if we can't well, get a sponsorship, I would take a friendship with the infusion people.
2: Yeah, I would. I would take your friendship and just the occasional beer. It would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, this episode, from what you've told me, is going to be uh, quite a marathon. So why don't you yeah. go ahead and. Let's let's jump right in. Take us away, my love.
1: Well, first, I got us a feel-good fact.
2: Oh, that's right. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, hit us with a feel-good fact.
1: All right, so for our first feel-good fact of Spooky Month, I thought it'd be fun to share a fun fact about October. Ooh, yeah. So traditionally, Anglo-Saxons referred to October as winter filleth, which means the fullness of winter. The reason for this is because October has the first full moon preceding the winter season. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, learn that. that. Yeah, I thought that was a fun one for October. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Are you ready for this? I am ready. All right. So to kick off our regularly scheduled programming, I thought it'd be fun to start out with a good old fashioned, old school American haunting. The haunting that I'll be telling you about tonight is one that's actually pretty remarkably well-documented by multiple parties, and has yet to be completely debunked or fully rationally explained even to this day. It's considered to be the greatest American ghost story and has been terrifying hearers of the story all around the world for 200 years. Tonight, I'm going to tell you all about the Bell Witch. So gather around the fire, grab your candy corns, and strap in, because this one's a doozy. Okay, all right. So our story takes place in the early 1800s in what was once known as Red River, Tennessee, or present-day Adams, Tennessee, which is in Robertson County. In 1804, the Bell family arrived in the area from North Carolina, ready to settle the lands and begin building a life for themselves. Hmm. So the family members were the parents, John and Lucy, and their six children, John Jr., Jesse, Drewry, Benjamin, Esther, and Zadick. They later had three more children. Elizabeth, Betsy was her nickname, Richard, whose nickname was Williams, and Joel. Richard's
2: nickname was Williams.
1: Williams, yes. And
2: Betsy was the nickname of whom?
1: Elizabeth. Elizabeth, okay. Yes. And then Joel was just Joel. Just Joel. He was just himself.
2: So only those two kids had nicknames.
1: It seems like it. That's funny. Okay. Yeah. So Esther had been married and moved out. So the events that would befall the Bell family would not immediately affect her just as a side note. Mm. So the Bells were a wealthy family. They purchased and made improvements on a home. They had barns, orchards, and several hundred acres of land that would become fertile and prosperous farmland. John was known in and around the community as being a man with a bold and commanding personality and trustworthy character. Mm. Lucy was described as an exemplary mother with a huge heart. And it was said that even her strong, stoic husband would yield to her every gentle glance and loving smile. Literally everyone who met Lucy loved her. So it sort of goes without saying that the Bells were a pretty notable family for quite some time. As a family, they were known for their success, for their hospitality. I mean, they literally Mm. opened their home, which was affectionately nicknamed the Bell House, all the time for parties or for anyone who happened to drop in. Mm. They'd feed you, house you, pray with you, laugh or cry with you, no matter who you were or where you were from. The Red River community as a whole grew and thrived over the next several years, despite the rumors that the lands that they lived on had been cursed and abandoned by Native Americans years before settlers had come in. Oh, wow. So one of the books that I read about this story went pretty into depth about the way that relationships had sort of developed. It talked about like the interesting culture when churches of different denominations set up shop and how despite doctrinal differences, there was a sort of like prevailing spirit of friendship and graciousness. And so everybody just kind of got along with each other. Hmm. Everybody belonged to a church, it seemed like. And then even though there was differences Mm -hmm. in ideas. They were all still friends. Yeah. As was common back in this time in areas that were newly settled, thieves and vandals would swoop in and wreak havoc, knowing that there wasn't a strong enough or developed enough authority in place to be able to capture and punish them with fairly little exception. This led the community to sort of develop their own systems on how to handle these kinds of crimes. Life would continue on and move forward without many issues for the Bells. That is until 1817. So the first known odd occurrence for the Bell family was an incident experienced by John Sr. He was walking through one of his cornfields when he happened upon an extremely strange animal staring at him from between stalks of corn. He believed that it was a dog, but he said that there was something off about it. Hmm. Before he had time to process exactly what he was looking at, he took a shot at it, but he missed, and so the animal ran off. This would not be the only odd, weird animal sighting. And Hmm. I say it like a question because nobody really knows what they saw. (laughs) Yeah. So a few days later, after the weird dog sighting, Drew saw what he initially believed to be a wild turkey perched on a nearby fence. He walked closer to it, hoping to take a shot at it and bring it home for his family to eat when it suddenly took off into the air. When it did this, he was shocked to discover that this was not a turkey. Hmm. It was some kind of bird, but it was way bigger than any bird he'd ever seen. Another strange sighting was had by one of the slaves who lived with the Bells, and I'll talk a little bit more about this specific guy later, but he, too, had a frequent and bizarre experience with some weird mutant animal. Hmm. Yes. So this guy, his name was Dean. He began regularly seeing this monster-looking, huge black dog, and it would run towards him and then suddenly vanish. Oh, wow. So another time, Betsy was out for a walk with some of the younger kids in a wooded area near their home when they were all stopped dead in their tracks. They saw a pretty little girl in green who was swinging on the limb of a tall old oak tree. When they walked closer to the girl, she suddenly vanished without a trace. Oh, weird. Yeah. So sightings like this were obviously weird, but they weren't really scary at this point. However, the goings-on at the Bell property would soon become more common, and the strangeness and terror would only escalate. So the odd and scary occurrences would soon begin taking place both inside and outside of the Bell's home. It would soon become a nightly occurrence that the family would hear noises in the house late at night while they were in bed. The noises started out small, like knocking or tapping on the doors and walls of the home. Soon, the noise grew into a sort of gnawing sound on the bedposts of the beds that the boys slept in. Mm. And then it sounded more like snarling dogs fighting. Then like chains being dragged across the floor, eventually growing into loud banging sounds, sounding like it was coming from inside of the walls.
2: Weird. Isn't that yeah. super weird? That's. Those are all, it, it's interesting because those are sounds that don't necessarily all correlate to each other. Right. It's just like, like you could have picked any five random sounds mm-hmm. and those would have been the ones. So it's, yeah, It's that's very odd and interesting.
1: It is. And even with that though, there's kind of like a progression because it goes from like softer sounds mm-hmm. to louder, right, more right, like, right. I don't know, agitated sounds, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So whenever a family member would get up and light a candle to go investigate the noises, like the actual second that there was light, the sounds would immediately stop, but would soon be replaced by one of the children screaming. Usually Betsy who had a feeling that something was after her. Hmm. So they'd get up, Turn on a candle. You don't turn on a candle. You light one, though. (laughs) (laughs) Just turn your candle right on. turn your candle on. So they would light a candle, and at the second the light would go on, noises would stop, but one of the kids in the house would freak out.
0: Oh, weird.
1: Like the instant. Yeah. Isn't that strange?
0: Hmm.
1: I would hate that. So when the family would examine the bedrooms where the noises were heard in the daylight, there was never a sign of anything that could have been making the sounds. No bite marks or scratches or dents or anything. This went on every single night for weeks on end with seemingly no answer. The family members each just sort of gave up on trying to investigate the noises and sort of started to just like live with them. It was kind of a new normal that began to feel sort of manageable for a minute until things escalated once again. Blankets would be yanked off of family members while they were in bed. Like continuously, they go (laughs) to pull the blanket back up only to have the blanket be immediately pulled back down again, like a tug of war. This is
2: literally like scenes from a horror movie today.
1: Isn't that scary? So crazy, yeah. I don't even know what I would do. Oof, I'd just be like, you know what? Just grab my foot and take me already. This is worse. Like, just like if you're gonna eat me, just Mm -hmm. like just do it. I wonder, scare me first.
2: I, I do wonder how, uh, how many horror movie screenwriters and, and directors and stuff like mm-hmm. they know this story. And so they oh, pull yeah. this trope out of this story into their movies. Cause that's like a classic horror movie trope, you know, mm-hmm. totally. It's so interesting to me to think about.
1: Yeah. Well, there were, there are many movies made specifically about this story mm. sort of adapted. Um And I know that there are elements of this that would, Definitely inform a scary horror movie. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good point. One of the family members, Williams, he actually kept a really detailed record of these events in a diary that you can actually still read today. Wow. The books that I read on the story include excerpts from his diary that I'll reference from time to time as we keep moving through the story, just so you know. Okay. So, anyways, the nighttime terror would continue. Along with the scary blanket tug of war came the sound of, like, lips smacking together. Hmm. A loud gulping sound, almost like choking and the sound of like gnashing teeth, like biting teeth.
2: Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Scary. Also like your worst nightmare anyway, just in general.
1: I know. Mouth sounds. (laughs) We're just talking (laughs) about this. We're just talking about it. Yeah. So sometimes it would be so incredibly loud in the rooms with the sounds of like the violent dog fights, even sounding like the dogs in question were on chains, Hmm. but in like stereo surround sound in the rooms all throughout the entire house. Yeah. So, like, the sound was in every room all at the same time super loud, and they couldn't figure out where the sound was coming from. So, as these things continued, the idea that this was a manageable way to live quickly faded away. (laughs) It became commonplace for nightly episodes of the family members' horrified screams accompanying the disturbances. Obviously, the family all became sleep-deprived, which greatly affected how they handled life in the daytime. Mm -hmm. And they would be super tired super early at night, so they all started going to bed early. And it was around this time that the attacks became physical.
2: Oh, wow. That's super creepy.
1: Yeah, I hate that. So many of the boys would be sleeping, and then they'd wake up to some invisible force yanking and twisting them by their hair. Oh. They'd sometimes even be fully lifted up off of their beds by their hair. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't you hate that? Oh, yeah. So on many mornings, Betsy would wake up with these red marks across her face Feeling and looking as if someone or something had slapped her super hard. That would happen to Betsy a lot. Whatever it was that was causing these disturbances would take an almost special interest in Betsy eventually. And I'll talk more about that later. Mm. So one of the most severe physical attacks came upon John Sr. He began feeling stiffness in his tongue, mouth, and face. He described this feeling as if there was a small stick of wood that laid crosswise in his mouth pressing hard on the inside of both of his cheeks, which made it difficult for him to talk and impossible for him to eat. Anytime he tried to eat, it's like there was an invisible block in his mouth and the food would just sort of reject from his mouth. He would also Mm. have sudden, severe, and uncontrollable face contortions. The family would endure these kinds of events for a full year without telling anybody. What? Yeah, only the family knew for a full year. So considering their sparkling reputation in the community and just the general culture at the time that this stuff was happening, John Sr. and Lucy really couldn't just go around telling the neighbors about what they were experiencing. Right. Like it really just wasn't a thing, you know? So around that time, there would be moments when the entire house would shake violently, almost as if they were in an earthquake. Soon enough, the bizarre sights and sounds coming from the bell house would be visible and audible a full half mile away from their home things were only getting worse and so they finally decided to start seeking some help so they told their friend james johnson a local pastor and friend of the bells and his wife about what they were experiencing so johnson was a nice guy and he was also very respected and loved in the area he and his wife offered to come into the bell home and pray for them to be delivered from whatever it was that was plaguing their lives Initially, the Bells wondered if maybe the entity, or whatever it was, would sort of back off if there were non-family visitors in the home. But this would definitely not be the case. Oh, no. As soon as the family and Mr. and Mrs. Johnson finished up their time of worship and prayer, they all went to go to bed. As soon as the lights went out, all of the usual occurrences would begin in the usual rooms and now in the guest room where Mr. and Mrs. Johnson were sleeping. The scratching and gnawing and dogfight sounds, chairs would be tossed, beds would be shook. And when Mr. Johnson called out to the entity, asking who it was and what it wanted, it stopped for about a full hour. Hmm. So when it started up again, it was 10 times worse to the point that poor Betsy was being violently shaken and slapped like in front of everybody.
2: Oh, weird.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, that would be disturbing.
1: By something invisible. Mr. Johnson was obviously shocked and terrified. His only logical explanation was that this was some sort of intelligent character, but that's about as far as he could get. Hmm. It was clear to the Bells and to the Johnsons that whatever this was, was way out of their realm of understanding. And so they started reaching out to other members of the community for help. Uh, one of the books I read talked about the next part in this way, quote, there was no end to the number of visitors and investigations, end quote. Hmm. And that is still true. <laughs> Wow. So word quickly spread about the perils experienced in the bell home. And many people wanted to witness the weirdness for themselves. Sure. First well. friends and neighbors would drop in. And then it grew to such an intense public interest that people would set up tents in the yard outside in hopes of getting a chance to head in and witness the events for themselves. Oof. There was no shortage of spiritual people who would come in and pray in the home visitors who just wanted to be spooked and an overall interest in not only witnessing the phenomenon, but also investigating and being the one to crack the code on what was going on here. Hmm. One such investigation would take place shortly after the Johnsons had made their attempt at helping the family. On one particular night, there was a bunch of visitors in the home. There's about 20 to 30 people. They were in the front room of the house, and suddenly everyone in the home heard a disembodied voice began speaking softly, almost like a whisper at first, but then it became louder and clearer, sounding like it wasn't coming from one specific place, but rather from everywhere all at once, hmm. once yeah. again. yeah, The voice was clearly feminine, and her voice froze everyone in the room with fear. She said, quote, I am the spirit of a person who was once very happy, but have been disturbed and made unhappy. I am the spirit of a person who was buried in the woods nearby, and the grave has been disturbed, my bones disinterred and scattered. End quote. Ooh. Yeah. So everyone was super freaked out.
2: Yes, that would be that would be quite uh, an experience.
1: Uh <laughs> yeah, there's not really a a way to relate to that, you know. It's like, yeah, that would be a thing. Oh.
2: I try to think of like when I think about a sound coming from all directions all at once. I remember this weird vivid memory of being like six and putting headphones on for the first time and being like, it sounds like it's all around me. And Mm -hmm. like, that's what my mind goes to is like, but in a terrifying way, because you're not wearing headphones. Right. Isn't that so weird? Yeah.
1: One person, I'm not sure who asked the voice what it wanted. It responded with, and I quote, I have come to kill John Bell. Oh, my gosh. Just direct and Mm -hmm. fun and to the point, you know. Yeah. Weirdly enough, what the voice had said actually did line up with something that happened years before. Hmm. So when land was being cleared on the property for planting crops, farmhands discovered a, a burial ground, which was identified as belonging to an unknown Native American tribe. Drury, who was a young boy at the time of the discovery, decided to go check out the graves with a friend. Oh, no to go look for like relics or anything that he thought would be like cool. Mm -hmm. He's just being a little boy, you know? Right, right. So they spent their time rifling their way through the gravesite and actually found a jawbone that Drury picked up and brought home with him. Oh no,
2: Drury, no! Drury, no! Oh, 101, buddy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, John Sr. was livid at his son's blatant disrespect for the dead and ordered him to bring it back to the grave, which he did. The family kind of forgot about this event until the night that the voice spoke to them. Mm Mm-hmm. After the night that the voice spoke to the group of people, she began being referred to as the Bell Witch, and she would also be referred to as Kate. Hmm. For the sake of being consistent, I'm going to try and just stick with calling her Kate. One reason why many people believe she called herself Kate was because during the early stages of the weird paranormal activity, people were hard at work trying to figure out who the witch was. In so many words, a lady in town by the name of Kate Batts, who was actually related to the Bells, was said to be the witch. She was already known as being kind of eccentric and somewhat outcasted because she wasn't a typical southern lady. Hmm. So when different guests at the bell house asked the witch if she was, in fact, Kate, she kind of just went along with it. Mm-hmm. The voice was like, yeah, sure, I'm Kate. You can call me Kate. Whatever. Interesting, yeah. It's like frustrating and sad. Right. And in, bo- in both of the books that I read, two of the books that I read, she's brought up and it's just sad. What they, hmm. Yeah, they just pick the weird lady
0: to yeah, on, And yeah. then
1: she was kind of like further outcasted because Aww. of all this, which is just sad. But anyway, I keep moving. So Kate, the witch would continue her antics around the bell home, whether or not there were outsiders visiting the home with varying degrees of terror being inflicted. So there was this like weirdly chill night. It was just like calm. There were a bunch of people at the house and a neighbor calmly asked Kate if she would shake his hand, if he promised not to grab her, hmm. she made him promise not to grab her. And he agreed and then held out his hand. She placed her hand across his so that he couldn't grab it, but he could definitely feel her touch, which he described as small and feminine, which matched her voice and matched the rough size of the slap marks that were frequently left across people's faces.
2: Weird. Oh, man. Mostly Betsy's. Yeah.
1: So one person that she would never do any harm towards was Lucy Bell, the wife. Uh, Kate actually called her old Luce, but she had maintained that her most deep desire and purpose was to kill John Bell, Or Old Jack, as she sometimes called him. (laughs) Don't know why she (laughs) called him Old Jack, but she did. She just liked to give people nicknames, apparently. She gives a lot of people nicknames. One interesting thing about the witch's strange attachment to Lucy is that there are many, many instances that were laid out in Williams' diary and by the accounts given by other witnesses, stating that it was plainly obvious that the witch cared for her. Not only did she have a fun pet name for her, but she would also take care of her. Hmm. There was this one time that Lucy was super sick and people thought that she was going to die. The long and short of this story is that the witch made some super random foods appear out of nowhere and got Lucy to eat it and cured her of her illness that everybody believed was a death sentence.
2: Weird. Oh, my.
1: What? It's hard to wrap your mind around that. Yeah, that's. Hmm. And she'd been like bedridden for a long stretch of time, was refusing food and water Mm -hmm. like she was going to die. And then she was totally fine after she ate the random stuff that fell out of the ceiling. Isn't Um, that bizarre?
2: That is bizarre.
1: So there are many other moments where you see the witch seemingly choosing to help or even save people. Hmm. Another time, while Betsy and her friends were in a cave on the property, one kid had gotten backed into an area that had a pocket of quicksand. He was like literally doomed. Oh, wow. But for whatever reason, the witch saved him. Hmm. She took credit for it. And there were multiple witnesses to this event. Considering all of the other shenanigans she would pull, it's kind of confusing why she would sometimes choose to save people.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
1: All right, so let's talk about some witness stories. Another time, a self-proclaimed witch hunter came to the home. He claimed to be able to see witches, even the invisible ones. And he claimed that he could end them with his special silver bullets. Hmm. The bells... Um,
2: He's clearly misunderstanding... Lore that it would be werewolves, sir.
1: That's what I'm saying. I literally picture like Colonel Mustard from Clue, like just showing up, yeah, with like a, the revolver with like the super uh-huh. weird like yep. thing. I don't need, I don't know the technical term, but I picture it's Colonel Mustard with yeah. a revolver must in the be, front room. Must be him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the bells literally let anyone come into their home to witness the events. But they were especially excited and anxious when this guy came in and claimed that he could solve the mysteries. Hmm. So when he told them of his gifts and abilities, they pretty much like dragged him into the house, (laughs) allowing him to stay for as long as he needed to in order to get rid of Kate once and for all. He did all kinds of rituals and brought in all sorts of items, such as the silver bullets to draw the witch out in order to kill it. But for many days in a row, there seemed to be no activity at all. Hmm. The family was relieved that the man's presence seemed to stop Kate from scaring the daylights out of them. Mm -hmm. So they actually hired him to come live with them until the matter would be fully resolved, offering him payment and a place to live in the home.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. He agreed to this pretty much right away. Like, heck yeah, I get to sit (laughs) here and not do anything and get paid for it. Oh wow! So he needed to return home to New England to gather his belongings first. Before he set off on his journey, he sort of smugly told the Bells that the witch is probably gone for good now anyways, since it's clearly him and his presence that's kept her at bay. He was kind of like chuckling mm, about yeah. this great deal he just scored. So he loaded up his belongings onto his horse and climbed up, but the horse wouldn't budge. He tried all sorts of things to get the horse to move, but it was like it was frozen in place. Out of mm. nowhere came the voice of Kate, who said, quote, I can make that horse go. Let me get on behind. Suddenly, the horse bolted, running in frantic circles, kicking and bucking and screeching through the yard. All the while, Kate was screaming, hold on, old man, hold on. (laughs) The guy was like literally grabbing the horse by its mane and clinging for dear life. Oh, my gosh. So eventually, the horse took off with the witch hunter on its back through the gate and off of the property. One of the books said the witch laughed about this event for a full week, <laughs> saying that she'd stuck the man with so many brass pins that he'll be spitting them out for the next six months. She also oh, said he'd never come back, and she was correct on that.
2: Wow. Interesting. Isn't that weird? That is very interesting and very odd, and uh, I, I'm like... This this, this character, the witch, mm-hmm. she, she has i feel like this is way more multi-dimensional than just like the the children's witch stories right where it's like they do this and then they eat children and right. then they go to bed like mm-hmm. there's a lot more going on that is yeah i'm just i'm really intrigued there's a lot going on here
1: that is a very good uh observation thank you that is a very good one that will come into play i'm oh, proud okay. of you for that yeah Okay, so Andrew Jackson, who would eventually become the president, actually visited the Bell House. His experience has been covered many, many times, but it's really weird and funny, so I have to cover it. Okay. So Andrew Jackson actually knew John Jr. because they served together in the Battle of New Orleans. Hmm. When he heard about what was going on at his old war buddy's house, he was immediately ready to check it out for himself. He gathered a group together of others who were also interested in seeing the Bell Witch phenomenon, including friends horses, and another witch hunter, who this one is described as brawny with Hmm. long black hair and a, quote, hawk bill nose and fiery eyes.
2: Interesting. Okay.
1: He's got a big old schnoz. Yeah. So So it's uh,
2: it's Van Helsing, basically. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So when they got close to the Bell property, they were on a straight and flat road. But despite that, they came to an abrupt halt. Jackson and the other guys got out of the wagon to figure out what was going on. They pushed the wagon to try and get it unstuck while the horses pulled it forward, but it still wouldn't move. They removed each of the wheels to inspect the wheels, and nothing was out of place. And when they would put them on one by one and, like, spin them back on the axis, Mm -hmm. they did what they were supposed to do. They spun on the axis. So for no observable reason, they were completely stuck. Jackson had a light bulb moment and yelled out, By the eternal, boys, it is the witch! (laughs) Followed by a different disembodied voice that said, quote, all right, general, let the wagon move. I will see you again tonight. End quote. Jeez. They looked around to see if they could figure out who said that, but they couldn't find anything. Yeah. The wagon began moving again immediately after that. So Jackson and his crew were all mad that the witch had essentially pulled a prank on them. So when they got to the bell property, they were like ready for a fight. <laughs> they went into the house and waited for the witch to do her thing. As the night went on, they were getting bored with the lack of activity. So the witch hunter started telling stories of all of his alleged adventures in witch hunting. Hmm. This only added to the boredom. (laughs) The guys were not into these stories. So at one point, Jackson leaned over to one of his buddies and whispered, quote, I'll bet he's an errant coward. I do wish the thing would come. I want to see him run. (laughs) End quote. Almost on cue. The stories were broken by what one of the books I read described as a prancing sound accompanied by the voice they'd heard earlier that said, all right, general, I'm here and ready for business. And then to the witch hunter, the voice said, here I am. Shoot. So the guy had a, he had a gun on yeah, him. Yeah. So he raised his gun to shoot, but when he pulled the trigger, the gun wouldn't fire.
0: Oh,
2: funny.
1: The voice kept taunting him, telling him to try again. Each time he pulled the trigger <laughs> and the gun would like fail. Yeah. Which is like, it's almost comical. Yeah, like it's almost playful.
2: Yeah, it's 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 way less of like, the general spookiness and more like poltergeisty, you know. Mm-hmm. And also in a weird fun way, <laughs> it's yeah. like an anti-hero and anti-poltergeist almost. Right.
1: So then she told him, "Now it's my turn, you hypocrite fraud," mm. which is a little scarier. Yeah. An invisible force proceeded to beat the daylights out of the sky, knocking him over, throwing him around, and when he tried to steady himself on a chair, he suddenly yelled, Oh lordy, the devil has me by the nose, it's pulling my nose off. Oh jeez. So whatever it was, grabbed him by the nose. Yeah. The front door flew open, seemingly by itself, so the witch hunter took off out the door, screaming, Oh lordy, oh lordy, (laughs) as he ran off the property. The group watched, astonished, and when they turned around, they saw General Jackson on his knees doubled over. Afraid that he also was being attacked by the witch, they went to help him when they discovered that Jackson was not hurt or in distress, but that he had literally fallen over with laughter. (laughs) He told John Bell that he had never had such a laugh in his entire life, and he asked if he could camp out for the week. Oh my gosh. The group wasn't into it, so they left the next morning. Oh, dang. (laughs) Isn't that ridiculous? That is so funny. Ridiculous. Yeah.
2: This is like, like I said, very multidimensional. And I, I'm really curious to know, like, if uh, Andrew Jackson, Andrew Jackson, mm-hmm. if Andrew Jackson had like a diary entries about this or something like that.
1: I think he did. I need to go double check on that, but
2: I would love to know. It's
1: a famous, it's a pretty famous story. So I would imagine. So Yeah,
2: I would love to know specifically his words on it. That's why I'm curious about that.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. So there were many other occurrences with plenty of outside witnesses, considering all of the many people coming in. Mm -hmm. One group that Kate routinely dazzled was the group of skeptics or anyone who would visit thinking that they could debunk whatever was going on. (laughs) These visitors would come into the house, oftentimes mocking the whole thing and not buying all of the wild stories that they'd heard about the Bell Witch. One of these instances involved two young college kids from Philadelphia who had come in with high hopes of seeing something supernatural. As they toured the Bell property and the home, they didn't experience anything abnormal, so they were disappointed and became skeptical of the Bell Witch stories that they'd heard. Mm. One of them said something along the lines of, wow, we're pretty dumb, for making this trip based off of some half-baked story that some sucker told us. Not one to be mocked, Kate immediately spoke to the men. <laughs> she asked them what they would like to see and hear. She also told them that she could tell them what was going on back at their homes at that exact moment, but they probably wouldn't believe her. So she opted to tell them something specific about their past. Mm. She said to them, quote, Suppose I tell you as I have told other suckers about your past. Don't look so frightened. She then went on to tell them that they had gone to an Eastern school and that one of their philosophy professors was a believer in the supernatural. So they had vowed to visit the bell home in order to prove him wrong and put him on the top of the sucker list. As they like to say, (laughs) she named the professor and she told them that he had died three years before, but if he hadn't died, he would most definitely have joined them on their trip. The guys were shocked because everything she told them was spot on. So they began asking her all kinds of questions, Mostly scientifically focused so that they could figure out what the heck was going on Mm -hmm. here. But like everyone else, they left the home baffled and no closer to solving the mystery of the Bell Witch. Wow. There are loads of stories where Kate would demonstrate some pretty bizarre feats. Anyone who she felt was smart or intelligent was vulnerable to her narrating their private thoughts out loud to a room. Oh my gosh. She'd (laughs) She'd inform people of things going on in their home sometimes even perfectly mimicking the voices of a visitor's spouse or child or family member to tell them what they were doing. Like there was a guy who was visiting the house and he got into like a back and forth argument with his mother who was hundreds of miles away with the witch as the middleman. And she was (laughs) talking to the guy in the guy's mom's voice. Yeah. Eventually his mother asked him to come home because she was freaked out.
2: Oh, so she actually was engaging with him and his voice weird in his mother's voice wow
1: so she could be in two places at once apparently yeah and she could perfectly mimic a stranger's voice Ooh, creepy yeah i hate that yeah she was shockingly good at mimicking voices which i don't know why but that detail is like exceptionally disturbing to me Mm -hmm. i don't know why that one really is like oh i don't like that at all one other thing was that there was never any rules as to how kate seemed to operate she didn't seem bound to the home or the property, often reporting to out-of-towners what was going on at that exact moment back in their hometown, which was almost always verified later and found to be accurate. She would also be active anytime, or not at all if she didn't feel like it. There mm. was no consistency. Like, she could not be predicted at all. Weird. All right. So, like I said, she could share people's inner thoughts out loud. She knew intimate details about people's lives that they hadn't shared with anyone else. Hmm. Or maybe they shared with like one person one time 20 years ago.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: she was also known to air out dirty laundry, taunting people for their sins and weaknesses, regardless of the consequences for those people. Jeez. <laughs> These events maintained public interest, and more and more opinions and theories would arise as to what was happening to the bells. The most popular being witchcraft, evil spirits, or the spirit of a Native American who was previously buried on the land. Mm-hmm. Those were kind of the prevailing ideas. Yeah. So even though there was a pretty lively culture in the various church denominations in the town, there actually weren't very many buildings that people would meet in. So house churches were the way that folks tended to gather for worship, Hmm. hear sermons, and have fellowship together. Yeah. Wildly enough, scripture, hymns, spiritual songs, and even the prayers of residents in the area were not out of reach for Kate. (laughs) She would even correct someone if they would misquote a Bible verse. What? I just like had to pause for that one. Yeah, that's.
2: Hmm. Okay.
1: There was one time that two different preachers from the town had come into the bell home on a Sunday evening. There were also other guests in the home at the time. Out of the blue, the voice of the witch began perfectly reciting a sermon that one of the preachers had given that morning, literally word for word and with his exact voice. Oh, yeah. Mm. Obviously confused and freaked out. The preacher asked her how she was able to do that to which Kate let him know that she was there when he preached it.
2: Yeah, that's creepy. So the
1: other preacher kind of giggled and made a joke that he's glad that it wasn't him that this was happening to, since he was preaching his sermon at the exact same time, 13 miles away. Mm -hmm. This joke would be broken by the witch stopping what she was saying and then delivering that preacher's sermon. Oh
2: my gosh. Once
1: again, word for word, but in his voice.
2: Oh my gosh. She told
1: everyone she could do this because she was there when he preached it.
2: This is a real mind trip. I know.
1: (laughs) And this was in the 1800s, like the early 1800s. She would also just hop in and join the choir at church services around town. (laughs) Like she'd just like show up to someone's house and like start singing and joining in just casually. She would sometimes go solo. She would sing any hymn that anybody could have possibly known and ones that church members had never heard before. She would be known to shout out the amens from some <laughs> unseen place within the congregation. And she was generally a pretty lively participant in many church gatherings and prayer meetings across the area. Kate also seemed to have a sort of like respect or maybe even a thing for James Johnson. She called him Old Sugar Mouth. Old Sugar Mouth. Yeah, she was known to say, Lord Jesus, how sweet old Sugar Mouth prays, how I do love to hear him. (laughs) Anytime he would pray out loud. Yeah. Yeah. So she would point out men and women that she respected and would express her support for them in whatever (laughs) way that she felt like made the most sense.
2: This is very, so she is also.
1: Like, go old Sugar Mouth, like, I am your number one fan. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm. I'm dumbfounded, oh, honestly, sugar because mouth. this is like—
1: imagine seeing it.
2: Yeah, well, and and all of the claims for witchcraft, which uh, would be uh, probably like a death sentence in right. early 1800s Christianity. <laughs> right. Uh, like my whole like mind is being boggled a little bit. Like, why would
1: she do that? Why? Who? What? (laughs) I know. (laughs) You You can't even like formulate a full question. Yeah. Yeah. She would also have theological sparring matches with dudes who'd spent their lives studying scripture and theology as well. Mm -hmm. The book said, quote, this manifest knowledge of scripture was the most mystifying of all the developments, end quote. Wow. It is mystifying. That's a great word.
2: Mystifying is an excellent word.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I briefly brought this up earlier, but Kate had a special interest in Betsy. Mm Mm-hmm. From a very young age, Betsy was described as being exceptionally beautiful, catching the eye of anyone who crossed her path. She was described as almost fairy-like in appearance, with silky long blonde hair that fell in waves around her shoulders, a symmetrical face, and her eyes were a deep blue that had a, quote, mischievous twinkle. Mm, so she looked like you. That's nice. Stop. <laughs> you big old flirt. <laughs> she was also known for being super witty and funny and super good at just about any sort of domestic task that she took up. It's no shock that many boys had tried and failed to capture her attention until she met Joshua Gardner. Joshua was known around town for being super handsome. He was a hard worker who was intelligent and well-educated, energetic, and fun. He was known for having a solid and trustworthy character, and he came from money and was well-connected.
2: Oh, that sounds like a lame person. <laughs> <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs>
1: so the two hit it off and quickly planned to get engaged and eventually married. Everyone quickly caught wind that Betsy and Joshua were a couple and that they were happily making plans to be together in the future. Mm-hmm. And just about everyone approved of this idea, except for two people, or I guess one person and one invisible witch. <laughs> Betsy's teacher, Richard Powell, and the Bell Witch.
2: Interesting. Also odd that the teacher of. Yeah. Okay. I see where this is going.
1: Yeah. Fear not. I will explain. (sighs) So Kate's displeasure with Betsy and Joshua's relationship started off small. It seems she would whisper and then eventually loudly plead with Betsy to not marry Joshua Gardner. She'd plead and plead endlessly, no matter where they went for Betsy to stay away from him and not marry him. Eventually, she'd do this in public places with other people around, which caused people to start talking. Mm. Why shouldn't Betsy marry him? What's wrong with him? He seems like such a nice guy. What could the problem be? Despite this massively strange and annoying inconvenience, Joshua maintained to Betsy over and over that he loved her and wanted to continue to work towards a future with her. Mm. Kate's persistence, however, began to wear on Betsy, who was becoming more and more concerned that maybe Kate either knew something that she didn't know about Joshua or that maybe Kate was just flat out right that she just shouldn't marry him. Mm. She'd say, like, you're going to be miserable. Don't marry him. You're going to be so miserable. Don't do it.
2: Interesting. Yes.
1: So this was, as one can imagine, an extremely distressing time for Betsy. So one of the books I read said that not only was the witch warning her not to marry Joshua, telling her of the unfathomable misery she would experience if she chose to ignore the witch's warnings, but it continued to torment her in other ways as well. Hmm. Betsy would rarely get a full night's sleep. She would regularly have slap marks on her face. Uh, She would feel like pins were poking her, Mm -hmm. but she couldn't obviously see any pins. Right, right. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Um, There was one moment when she was brushing her hair and kind of confiding in her friends about how hard it was being regularly stalked and harassed by an invisible witch. Yeah. (laughs) When suddenly her hairbrush went flying out of her hand and within like a millisecond, her hair became knotted and twisted and like all disheveled. It was like perfectly smooth and it went to like a big old rat's nest.
2: I just, I, my, my mind, I see it in my mind's eye of our daughters (laughs) with their hair. In a crazy rat's nest. And I just, I would just... You feel for that? Yes. Yes, I do.
1: So she also began experiencing violent seizures that would sometimes last up to 45 minutes at a time.
2: Ooh, I don't like that.
1: Still, she and Joshua stuck together, trying so hard to just bear down and get through it because they were in love and they wanted to be together. The straw that broke the camel's back, though, was when Betsy's father, John Bell, died, which Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk more in depth about that later, But it seems like Betsy believed that this was kind of like a punishment for her not breaking up with Joshua. Oh, Really sad. Okay, so remember that one person who had a problem with Betsy and Joshua being together? Yes, the teacher. The teacher, Richard Powell. He was an adult man, and she was like 15 or 16 at the time. So from the time that she was very young, he'd been heard telling people that one day he would marry Betsy Bell. So he's a grade A creep. Yeah. She was like oh. a little girl.
2: Ooh.
1: Okay, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because it's honestly just frustrating and sad. So Betsy and Richard got married. Oh, no. Yep. They moved <gasps> away to Mississippi, and all of the torment from the witch seemed to stop. Many believe that the final act of torment was making sure Betsy didn't marry Joshua, pushing her towards Richard instead, ensuring that the rest of Betsy's life would be just as miserable as the year she spent being directly tormented by the witch. no. Oh. A brief overview of how awful poor Betsy's remaining years would be looks like this. She had eight children, but four passed away very young due to illnesses and freak accidents. Hmm. Of the remaining four, only two outlived her. Oh. Betsy and Richard invested heavily in a cargo shipment that was headed for New Orleans, but the ship sunk to the bottom of the river.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: They literally never recovered and lived the rest of their lives in extreme poverty. Richard suffered a stroke at a pretty young age, leaving him disabled and needing around the clock care. He would die shortly after, leaving her alone, never to remarry, and she would live for 30 more years. Oh, wow. She would outlive her parents and seven of her eight siblings. The long and short of this is that Betsy suffered big time.
2: Oh my gosh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So a lot of people think that that was kind of like the feather in the cap of the witch's thing with Betsy.
2: Yeah. It's really confusing because she physically abused Betsy mm-hmm. long before all that mm-hmm. and then took a special interest in her and then...
1: When I say special interest, I don't mean like a nice one.
2: Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Special interest in general like was... Like a focused interest. Negative and mean.
1: Right. Well, and just, Ugh. you know, th- putting yourself in Betsy's shoes for a second, assuming all this is true... Mm-hmm. She's been seeing these insane feats daily for years, you know, in her home. And she's seen, you know, this, whatever this is, knows, seems to know everything. Right. And so if she's warning me not to do this, she probably actually can see the future or can predict what's going to happen. Sure. So, you know, I feel like that would confuse anybody, let alone Mm -hmm. a teenager. Right. You know, and so yeah, everybody thinks that she pushed betsy away from joshua and towards richard because she knew that yeah
2: that that would be worse
1: it would be yeah. worse which is sad it is sad oh, come poor on. betsy so i briefly mentioned a slave that the family had dean uh he and his wife kate were both slaves and they lived separately and worked on different properties but they would do all that they could to get together as much as possible as soon as Dean began experiencing injuries and other odd things at the hands of an unseen witch, as everyone had fully accepted by this point, his wife wanted to help him. So she made him what's called a witch ball for protection. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd never heard of this before. So it was a ball that was made with hairs from his wife's head, yarn, and various herbs that were believed to keep witches away. He would take that and his axe with him wherever he went. Hmm. So on an exceptionally dark night, as Dean was walking to visit his wife, the witch stopped him, telling him that she knew about the witch ball and taunted and laughed at him for thinking that it would protect him. Oh, jeez! Dean literally fell to his knees with fear, to which Kate responded with telling him to get up and stop acting like a fool. Otherwise, she'd turn him into a horse and ride him around. So Dean reached into his pocket and pulled out the witch ball, extending it toward the direction that he had heard the voice coming from. The ball then burst into flames in his hand and blasted off into the night sky like a shooting star. Oh, my gosh. So he was frozen in place. <laughs> sorry.
2: My, my brain, literally, like, <laughs> the picture that goes on in my head is the Patrick Star <laughs> with his, like, eyes big and his mouth wide. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: when they're singing the monster song.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, that's cute. It's way less cute in this story, though. Yes, it's true. <laughs> Okay, so he was still frozen in place when suddenly the witch took on the form of that black dog and started laughing at him in the witch's voice, but like coming out of the Mm -hmm. dog's mouth. So he grabbed his axe and he split the head of the demon dog in two.
2: Oh, well, that was probably not a good idea, but... (laughs)
1: <laughs> we'll see. Okay. <laughs> when he told his wife about this, she made him another stronger witch ball to try and keep him safe with the help of a Native American friend who essentially gave her like a Native American witch ball recipe. Okay. It was like a variation from an African recipe that the wife had tried. Okay. So she thought maybe this is like a local thing happening. Ooh. Okay. Maybe the the local herbs can like ward yeah. up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense?
2: Yes, that makes sense. And it's also very confusing.
1: Yes, <laughs> this would be to no avail. I'm sure. From that point forward, when Dean would encounter the dog, it would have two heads. Oh, great! Yeah, he'd see it and take off running in the opposite direction, only to have the dog appear ahead of him in the direction that he was running towards. No, so he'd see it, make a one eighty, and then it would be in front of him. Gosh. How did he get there?
2: Demon dog, Demon Cerberus, Cerberus dog. yeah, creature. And it only has two heads. Well, okay, Cerberus Junior.
1: Yeah, so he decided in this moment he needed to kill the monstrosity, but he was suddenly frozen once again by what he described as a spell that gave his body the proportions and posture of a mule. E. He then heard two female voices coming from an unseen place, laughing and joking about taking him for a ride.
2: This is emperor's new groove now.
1: He felt one of the voices mount, like, mount his back, and then he felt the other one. And heard them joking that they were going to ride him to hell for breakfast.
0: Oh my gosh. And they grabbed
1: his ears to start leading him.
2: That's a a terrifying threat in 2022. And I can only imagine how terrifying that would be. In like 1820? (laughs) Yeah. 200
1: years ago. Good grief. So he bucked and fought until he felt the weight off of his back. And he ran on all fours to his wife's home. He pawed at the door with his weird little mule hands... Until she opened it, and he said that when he saw her, the hex was removed because of his love for her. Oh, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Over the years, Dean would only grow as a staple fixture in the community, being loved and respected by anyone and everyone. He would also tell his stories of his encounters with the witch, or witches, to anyone who would listen. He would say, quote, The night I heard those witches talking about riding me to hell for breakfast, I was the most scared mule you'd ever seen, end quote. Mm. It's important to note that the bell witch generally did leave slaves alone as long as they were in their homes. But if they left their homes, it seems like they were fair game. Baptisms were common in communities of enslaved people in the area. And when they'd go to the river to baptize new believers, the bell witch would be there, warning them that if they left and didn't continue what they were doing, she'd drown them all. Anytime a person that the witch believed was a, quote, real sinner, anytime that person would be baptized, she'd yell out, quote, Parson, put him under again and keep him there a little longer, end quote. Oh my gosh. And nobody really has quite known what to make of any of that. That
2: is, yes, that is a
1: very, wow. Okay, so next we're going to talk about the death of John Bell. So as I've laid out, the Bells, Betsy and John in particular, had been under nearly constant torment, day and night for years. This would take a toll on anyone. And in case anyone forgot... John, or old Jack, was the main target of Kate, with her main goal being to take him out. Yeah. She told that to everybody. After an attack that left John having convulsions in the middle of the road, he was bedridden, relying on Lucy to be at his bedside for his care and John Jr. to handle the doctor and his medications. Hmm. On December 19th, 1820, when John didn't wake up and couldn't be stirred when they attempted to wake him up, John Jr. went to go get his dad's medicines. But when he opened the cupboard, all of the medications were gone. The only thing left in the cabinet was a mysterious, smoky-looking vial that contained a dark liquid. Hmm. The family searched all over the home for John's correct medications, but they couldn't find them. Finally, the doctor, Dr. George Hobson, as well as some neighboring friends, came over. The doctor came and examined the vial of liquid, but he could not identify what it was. Out of nowhere came an all too familiar voice saying, mm. quote, it's useless for you to try and relieve old Jack. I've got him this time. He will never get up from that bed again. I put that vial there and I gave old Jack a big dose of it last night while he was asleep. I fixed him. I fixed him. Ooh, End
2: quote. That gave me the goosebumps. <laughs> I knew if
1: I delivered it right, I could get you. <laughs> so the doctor smelled the vial and then he smelled John's breath. And sure enough, he could tell that what they just heard was true. He had at some point ingested wow. whatever was in this vial. Oh. So they tested it out on a cat. I'm just going to do a quick little trigger warning for people who don't like hearing sad things happening to animals. Mm-hmm. Maybe skip ahead a minute. So they tested it out on a cat. The instant that a drop was placed in the cat's mouth, it died. Oh. Like instantly. So furious, John Jr. threw the vial hard into the fireplace, and when it landed, it exploded in a weird purple cloud of smoke (laughs) that rose up and out of the chimney. Nobody has any idea what the liquid was. What? And John Bell would die the next morning. Oh, wow. The witch was suddenly quiet. Most assume this is because of her weird care for Lucy— and that if she decided to taunt the whole family, Lucy would probably be the one who would be the most hurt over that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So she left it alone. John's funeral was a sad affair that was attended by many people, which reflected how loved he was by his community. The trouble, though, was that as the crowd gathered around his graveside, the witch broke out singing, quote, roll me up some brandy-o over and over (laughs) until everyone just kind of casually got sick of it and left. She just kept singing this old, like, Barkeep song. Oh my gosh. hmm So the witch mostly left Lucy alone as she lived out the rest of her years in the home. She did tell them shortly after John had died that she would return in seven years, and she did. She pulled a few of her usual shenanigans, but the Bells didn't share this with anyone. After Lucy died, nobody moved into the home or onto the property for a long time. Hmm. It sat there either used for storage or laid dormant for some time. There's one element of the property that I very briefly mentioned, but haven't quite talked about yet. And many people believe it's the single most relevant aspect of the entire property and the haunting and the potential for us to find some sort of answer. Hmm. And that would be the cave on the property. Okay. Okay. So before we do a jump forward in history, I do want to share a few of the predictions that the bell, Witch made that have come true over the years. Hmm. This was documented by John jr. In 1928, I'm pretty sure that all but one or two have come true, at least partially. Hmm. She predicted the Civil War. She predicted that New Orleans would be taken over by a man from Tennessee who was in the Navy, which ended up happening in 1862, like 35-ish years later. She predicted World War I and its fallout, the main element of this being the Great Depression. She predicted a far more devastating war, worse than the first one, but similar, so she predicted World War II. Oh, my gosh. She wrote this in his diary in 1828. She predicted that the United States would rise to power. And she predicted that after the rise, if the power wasn't handled properly, that the country would instead be ruled by greed, oppression, and what she called meanness towards the poor. And that the middle class would be all but eliminated, leaving only the rich and the poor. And if that should happen, she said, quote, your country will be tired out. I shall be there at that time. There will be thousands of spirits unrecognised. Oh End quote.
0: my!
2: <laughs> Goosebumps again. Goosebumpery.
1: Goosebumpery. She predicted the discovery of lost civilizations if scientists would dig under the earth's surface, and she explained the like specific civilizations. Like, mm. She gave details about like language and culture and all that kind of stuff. Many people believe she was talking about Atlantis what yep many okay. people many people believe that that's what she was talking about
2: well that one has still yet to be totally that's, proven yeah but that's
1: why i said all but yes one that,
2: or two partially that
1: but hmm. but lost civilizations have been on, on earth that's true, and lost that's true. cultures
2: it doesn't have to be if she didn't specifically say Atl- atlantis no
1: she didn't name anything but people yeah people who like this story tend to like the story of atlantis
2: Sure. And so they want to
1: connect them. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Not across the board, but you know what I mean.
2: But she could also be talking about like Mayan civilizations and stuff like that. Sure.
1: Things that took, Mm -hmm. you know, hundreds or thousands of years for societies to
0: Mm
1: -hmm. like whole societies that have been lost to time to be rediscovered. Yeah. So finally, she predicted the way that the earth would end. She said, (laughs) quote, That the world can be destroyed by its creator at any time or by any means he chooses should bring the world of sinners to their knees. Its destruction can be complete within a few minutes. She said it would end in fire and then quote, at no time will the inhabitants of the earth as a whole believe that there will be an end to the world at the time when they think least of it, the end will come worlds many times larger have been destroyed so suddenly that it was only like a powder pan flash. End quote. Oh my She said that he shouldn't doubt any of her predictions because in time they'll all be proven. So that is spooky.
2: Yes, that is. For anybody listening, if you didn't just get goosebumps like me. uh, Then you've
1: probably heard this story before and so it doesn't affect you as much, but it should.
2: you are unreasonably skeptical. (laughs) (laughs) This is crazy.
1: (laughs) Just the idea of it. Once again. Willing suspension of disbelief yeah, can do yeah. a lot for a person. It's true. It makes these stories so fun. It is fun. I always just and completely spooky. suspend disbelief when I hear these stories because I love them so much. Right, right. So, in 1993, a new family would buy the property from a different family who'd owned the land for a while. This would be Chris and Walter Kirby. They were not a pair that was trying to move onto a notoriously haunted or cursed property. <laughs> they knew about the curse, But really wanted to own and operate a tobacco farm. So they bought the land and house kind of in spite of the reputation. Sure. They would say stuff like, you know, I think we casually bought into it like a little bit. But until you experience something like that, you don't really actually know. Mm. Like you can't actually say you believe it, believe that sort of thing or not.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. People being stuck with invisible pins and all that right. all the crazy stuff. You right.
2: Know? They just thought it was it was fun fiction.
1: Yeah. They're yeah. like, it's a weird place, but like, sure, whatever. This would actually be perfect. It's also weird because they talked about how they tried to buy land over and over. And for some unknown reason, every single deal fell through like at the last minute mm. until they approached buying the Bell property. They believe that despite them just being ordinary people, that for whatever reason, They were supposed to land on this extraordinary property. Chris, this is kind of weird. Uh, Chris had visited a psychic who told her that her and Walter were going to buy the property before they bought it. And the psychic also told her that the supernatural energy that was on the property was coming from somewhere, not in the house. And it was coming from a permanent fixture on the land. Hmm. So this happened before. So like Walter casually came home and was like, I think we should buy the bell property. And Chris was like, Well, yeah, my psychic already told me we were going to let's go for it, (laughs) which is like just so casual. Okay. Just like kick back on the couch. Oh, yeah. My psychic was like, yeah. 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 You're going to buy it. Just
2: proving her right. Okay, cool. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So true to form, the weird experiences would happen on the very first night that the Kirby's were in their new home, which was a house that was built by the previous owners 28 years before the Kirby's moved in. Mm, Okay. So Chris, Walter, and their daughter Candy, who was 12 at the time, all witnessed this event. The Kirby's had other kids who were adults at the time of this story, so it was just candy that was living with them. okay, yeah. That's just a little side note. So anyways, on night one, the Kirby's were woken up in the middle of the night by a loud crash that sounded like glass breaking on the hardwood floors. Hmm. All three of the family members went to investigate, but they didn't see anything broken or out of place, so they went back to bed, vowing to do a more thorough sweep over the house in the morning. The next morning, Chris found a small book laying on the counter that had been left as a gift by the previous owners. It was called Echoes of the Bell Witch in the 20th Century, <laughs> which was a book full of experiences that the previous owners had on the farm.
2: No way. A
1: full big old book. Oh, isn't that crazy? Oh, yeah. So Chris picked up the book and she opened it to a random page. She landed on page 30 and the header on that page was, quote, breaking glass. On the top. So the crazy thing is that the book said that a common occurrence in the home was a crashing noise that sounded like glass breaking on the hardwood floors, but with no explanation. (laughs) So it's kind of weird that That, that's the page she happened to open to. Coincidences? Sure, they happen. But that's just like that's too specific, it feels like. There
2: seems to be too many coincidences with this character.
1: Yes. So Chris tucked the book away for the time being, kind of like freaked out and feeling like they... Definitely underestimated what they were getting into (laughs) when they bought the land. So as she was organizing stuff in the kitchen, she heard a rumbling noise coming from the bedroom hallway. She was confused by this because Candy was at her new school and Walter was busy at work clearing out a hundred years worth of overgrown brush outside so that they could start building and growing Mm -hmm. their tobacco farm. Mm -hmm. She called out for Walter when suddenly she heard the sounds of like dresser drawers opening and slamming shut. Ooh. so it, like the sound got louder yeah and they would stop only when she would call out for walter almost as if the silence was like a response she felt like it was like crash 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 walter silence mm, okay and then it would start again she felt like it was responding to her whatever this whatever was making the sound oh yeah and that creepy, that is <laughs> creepy. that's eerie so she called it like a silent no it's like yeah. weird so Chris looked from room to room and couldn't find him. So she went outside to see if he was just working kind of like loudly outside. Like maybe mm-hmm. he just couldn't. Sure.
2: Yeah. 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 That, that
1: sound was transferring weirdly through the house. They're getting used to a new house. Sure. Yeah. New house noises, all that. So she went outside and his truck was gone. Walter wasn't even home. Oh, okay. so she was super freaked out by this and decided to do busy work outside <laughs> until mm-hmm. Walter got home, <laughs> which I do not blame her for that one right. bit. So after dinner that night, Chris told Walter everything that had happened and about the book that they'd been left, and he said that he knows there's something in the house, and he believed that whatever it was had blocked anyone else from buying the property so they could.
2: Oh. Yeah. Okay.
1: Weird and scary sounds Eesh. and other strange occurrences would continue for some time, and eventually Chris decided to explore the land. That's when she stumbled upon the cave that would later be called Bellwitch Cave.
2: Hmm. Okay.
1: So all things considered, this truly was and is a magnificently beautiful property. Hmm. It's full of like 100-year-old huge oak trees and a waterfall that she had taken pictures of. But when she found the cave, she figured that she should take pictures of that too. Oddly, she had felt an instinct that she shouldn't go into the cave when Mm -hmm. she first found it. So when she went to go have her pictures that she'd taken developed, she was dumbfounded to discover that the 13th photo in the bunch that was taken above a small sinkhole outside of the cave was literally full of white ghostly images all over the area she'd oh photographed.
0: My. <laughs> she
1: believed in like little orbs and stuff. Uh huh. She believed that whatever the beings were in the photos, that they were sending her this message. We are here and we won't be ignored. Oh my gosh. Yee. Literally
2: every hair on top of my head is standing up straight right <laughs> yeah,
1: now. Yeah, that's a that's an impressive thing. That is, yes. Yeah. So not knowing who else to talk to about this, Chris reached back out to that psychic and invited her to come look over the land for herself so that maybe she could get to the bottom of what was going on at the cave. Oh, we'll see how helpful this is. So she did. And the two would enter the cave together. So, all right, let's lay out kind of a description of the cave. Okay. It's made up of two very large chambers with a kind of hallway leading from the entrance to the first room or cavity. They call them rooms. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: um, Of the cave with another trail from the first room to the back room. Okay. So can you picture that? Yeah, I gotcha. Little hallway, big room, little hallway, back room. Yeah. And that's the cave. The psychic told her pretty much right away that the cave was literally crawling with spirits. She talked about a little boy who was about five years old wearing overalls who told her that he was afraid to cross over. The psychic believed that the cave was a sort of portal. Hmm. She went on to explain that she thought that the spirits here were ones that would linger for a short time or indefinitely. And the reason for this is because she believed that they were people who were not ready to die, most likely dying suddenly or violently, because souls that are content with how they have passed normally don't linger. Right. That's how she explained it. So the ones in the cave were either like angrily hanging out, refusing to pass and like looking for revenge Or they were confused or scared like that little boy. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Chris had no idea what to make of this theory, but she was taken aback and pretty much bought into it fully when she was examining the photos she'd taken, and she'd found that one of the figures in the photo looked like a little boy in overalls. Oh my gosh. The photos were interesting because in some, there's little orbs, and Mm -hmm. some show what look like to be white, human-shaped forms. So the Kirby's decided to start offering guided tours of the cave. (laughs) I mean.
2: Okay. Well, all of a sudden, when I hear that, I kind of go, wait a second.
1: Listen, I looked it up and it's like literally 20 bucks.
2: Mm, Okay. Today. Okay.
1: But just.
2: Okay. 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 Hang on. Keep going. Keep going.
1: (laughs) Okay. So one thing worth mentioning here is that the cave was no secret to locals or paranormal enthusiasts. In fact, many people would come in and snatch things up that they thought were interesting.
0: Hmm.
1: One such thing that was stolen from the cave was the body of a young Native American girl whose grave was in the front room. Oh, no. She had been killed by gunfire sometime in the 1700s or 1800s. So they put like a big iron fence Uh in front of the cave. They blocked off unsafe areas. They fenced in other areas. They added electricity. Um, so they made it so that anyone who would come, like a casual visitor or someone who was trying to debunk it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: would be safe. So many, well, or many wouldn't, wild wouldn't photographs. Steal things, I
2: guess, you know.
1: <laughs> or wouldn't steal things. Yeah. Yes. So many wild photographs and other forms of documentation would happen over the years that I'll for sure be sharing on the Instagram because they are nuts. Yeah. So crazy. I don't want to forget to mention this, but it was also discovered that inside of the cave, there were black scorch marks from torches on the inner walls of the cave. They believe that Mm, from like mm -hmm. torches that were like hung in the cave.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's an important thing to remember for later. Oh, Okay. So the morning before the first tour was set to happen in the cave, Chris and Candy were raking out rocks in the cave that had got washed in by water that moved through during the previous winter. We're trying to make it like a, it's still a cave. So it's going to be bumpy and stuff, but let's kind of remove some hazards if we can, you know? Yeah. So they went in and got to work. Chris was in the first hallway and Candy was in the first room of the cave, just raking away, trying to pull all the stuff to the front. After a few hours, Chris announced that she was taking a break. Candy continued raking with only the sounds of her own raking, keeping her company for the moment. Out of the blue, she heard the sounds of a second rake but the sounds were coming from the back room of the cave and the raking was constant, taking no pauses like a normal person would if they were the one doing the raking. Mm, Nope. (laughs) From the back of the cave. Yes. As she stood listening, frozen with fear and confusion, she could tell that the sound was moving from the back of the cave, inching closer and closer towards her. She bolted out of the cave. Yes, that is the correct move. Correct move. (laughs) And she screamed at her mom that they needed to leave now. This is like not a good idea. We should get out of here. Yes. Her mom explained that what she thought was happening wasn't possible. And she was probably just hearing echoes maybe bouncing from the back room from her rank. So she's being reasonable.
2: Sure, yeah. Yeah. Or not.
1: Or not. I mean, depends on how you look at it. (laughs) Teach his gown. Yeah. (laughs) I'll always say that. Anyway, they listened together when they both heard what sounded like the raking coming from the first room of the cave now, followed by the sounds of hundreds of small rocks smashing together, coming towards them. So they both heard the raking now. Yes. Yes. Horrifying. So they dropped their rakes and they hightailed it out of there.
2: Yes, that is, once again, that is the correct move.
1: Chris and Candy went back later, but they brought the big black family dog with them, uh, who's named Partner. Oh, Partner. Isn't that cute?
2: What a good helper.
1: He's such a good helper. They continued raking, and when they got to the second hallway, Parker kind of like, you know, bounced ahead of them, but he started growling. Mm. They paused and waited as Partner's growling got louder and more fierce. They held on to each other as they walked closer to the dog, noticing that he was in an attack posture Mm -hmm. with his teeth bared and his mouth actually biting at something when they were all struck with a freezing cold wave, followed by the temperature returning to normal warmth. So partner curled up whimpering at their feet. So that's not good.
2: That is not helpful for a dog to do that after being so tough.
1: Well, and it tells you that that. if he was very tough and ready to attack and defend, what scared him so much that suddenly he was literally whimpering in a puddle at their feet?
2: Yeah, I don't like that.
1: Yeah, I don't like that either. Mm. So, tours began, and plenty more photos with anomalous orbs and figures would be taken. We can talk more about some of the more interesting findings in a minute, but first, we've got to talk about the discovery of human bones on the land. Oh, man. Several weeks after the Kirbys moved into the home, Chris one night felt herself drawn to the old smokehouse on the property. She went in, and what she found were bones Hmm. leg bones, arms, and a partial skull, all belonging to a human. (gasps) After doing some digging, Chris found that there was a Native American graveyard consisting of about 30 graves on her property that were determined by an anthropologist to be between 2,000 and 3,000 years old. No
2: way! There were
1: also tons of other graveyards, including graveyards for the slaves that the Bells buried there, members of the Bell family, and more. When the bones were sent off for analysis, it was determined that the bones themselves were between 1,000 and 2,000 years old.
2: Oh, <laughs>
1: what? Yeah.
2: In the smokehouse? Yeah. So there's bones that had either been like, well, I guess that would be. Let possible. me keep going. Okay, Let me keep okay, going. Okay. Yeah. So
1: they also discovered that the bones belonged to members or a member of an ancient tribe called the Mississippi Mound Builders Tribe. They'd lived in the area for thousands of years, but mysteriously vanished about 2,000 years ago. After death, members of the tribe were buried in an upright fetal position without covers or tombs. Mm, okay. This could account for the jawbone found by Drury, and many people believe that a lot of American hauntings are created when Native American graveyards are disturbed. Yeah. So, as tours continued and people continued capturing all kinds of crazy things, either on camera or just witnessed things and then told their stories, many people wanted to come in and investigate. One very famous paranormal investigator was a cut above the rest, a man by the name of Bob Schott. He has been widely regarded for his advanced techniques and super high-quality equipment that he uses on investigations. So he went with a team to the Bell Witch Cave and set up all of their stuff. They captured some usual phenomenon like cold spots and orbs caught on camera. Mm -hmm. Chris showed them a spot near the second room where loads of weird things would happen. And she pretty much said, if you set up your overnight cameras there, if there's anything for you guys to find, you'll find it there. Hmm. So they set up a low-light sensitive camera with a night vision lens that has this like incredible infrared filter on it that's reported to be five times more sensitive than the ones used by the U.S. military.
0: Wow.
1: This camera would also capture hmm. 50 images per second. What? So they were not messing around.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: They review the film the next day. And in a few frames, they discover something absolutely mind blowing. They had captured on film in a tiny fraction of a second, a doorway appearing out of nowhere. The doorway quickly slid open just long enough for two humanoid forms to walk from somewhere in the cave and through the doorway. The doorway disappeared and the figures were gone. Mm. They caught this on camera. <laughs> so one of the books said it like this, quote, shot had captured on film what the psychics knew intuitively. Inside the Bell Witch Cave is a portal, a rip in the veil that separates the world of the living from the world of the dead, end quote. So that's what? like, they're like, what are we dealing with? Okay, so, after seeing the bizarre footage, shot sent it off to a handful of experts in like of all kinds with various specialties so that the footage could be analyzed, Mm -hmm. starting with experts in infrared and electro optics. So these guys are responsible for providing advanced defense technology to the United States military. Hmm. Neither expert could explain the footage. He then sent it to more paranormal professionals who all came to the same conclusion that the footage contained compelling evidence that portals, might in fact exist. They say definitely. Sure. But also that there was a portal in the Bellwitch Cave that they caught on film. That's what they all believe. Wow. I mean, they caught something they very weird. They definitely
2: caught something odd. Yes.
1: The Kirby's and plenty of other people have worked through the available information. They've compiled lists of the various experiences that have been documented on the lands for more than 200 years, and they've come to a few conclusions. One, that it seemed like all of the activity stemmed from the cave and sort of leaked outward onto the property. Mm, Okay. Two, they believed that there was not a bell witch, but rather many spirits, Mm. perhaps hundreds, who knows. Mm. And while it's highly likely that one spirit in particular had attached itself to the bells, it's also possible that plenty of others had joined in, which would explain the inconsistencies with the witch being bent on causing pain and then other times on saving lives. Mm-hmm. You would almost see, like you said, several different, almost like personalities, yeah. which would make sense if they're spirits of different people.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: You okay. know? Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the authors of one of the books that I read, she was actually personal friends, like longtime personal friends with the Kirby's. And she had a background in like investigative journalism Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. And so she dedicated like a lot of time to trying to understand all of this any of this she also grew up in the area so she grew up hearing the story of the bell witch and she'd Mm -hmm. always been interested in it so she put together some theories that i thought were really interesting a lot of people also share some of these theories too so in the book bell witch the truth exposed author camille moffat talked a lot about how like okay it's wild that you've captured video evidence of some pretty intense supernatural stuff but how did the portal get here? If that's what it is, Mm -hmm. why was it created? How was it created or opened? Mm -hmm. So she kept digging and she actually went to the cave for herself in hopes of not only finding answers to her many questions, but also in the hopes that maybe she could communicate with someone or something who might be able to Hmm. help her.
2: Wow, She's
1: doing some like advanced consultation here (laughs) to like research (laughs) for her book.
2: So (laughs)
1: after going to the cave and after doing plenty of research about the land, about the Mississippi mound tribe and the list goes on, she landed on this thousands of years ago, when the mound people still lived in the area, they would bury their dead upright. As I'd mentioned, Mm -hmm. it turns out that the tribe who lived on this specific property did bury their dead upright, but they did so right above the cave. Oh, inside of the cave, Shamans from the tribe had performed rituals with torches, which explains the scorch Uh marks. uh The purpose of the specific rituals in the cave was this, to open a passageway between the living world and the dead world. So they didn't bury their dead above the cave because there was a portal. They opened a portal there. Because their dead were buried above the cave. Yeah,
2: because that's what they wanted. Mm -hmm. Wow. It
1: sounds like what they were trying to do was to be able to communicate and kind of consult with loved ones and other members of the tribe after they'd passed. Uh If we follow that logic, once that portal was open, it was open to any and every spirit, good, bad, anything in between. Yeah. That's the idea.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That's spooky. You know.
1: That just seems like not a good idea, but like <laughs> no judgment, I guess. Just, just over here, like, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. So you want to open a portal? Wanna, uh, maybe we shouldn't. Okay, hey guys. <laughs> <Hey> guys. <laughs> All right, so let's spend a minute talking about some theories about why the Bells, John and Betsy in particular, had had such a terrible experience there out of everyone else. The main theory about why these two were the primary targets of the chaos. Is extremely serious. Mm. So I'm gonna offer a trigger warning here. There will be mentions of childhood sexual abuse. Oh. And it's just an extremely upsetting thing, even if it's not true in this particular story. So I just wanna give people mm. a chance to skip ahead. So, according to one of the most popular books about the Bell Witch haunting, the book is called The Bell Witch by Brent Monahan. He posits a theory backed up with some pretty damning surrounding factors. Mm. So the theory is that John Bell was molesting his daughter, Betsy. Mm. His reasoning for assuming this is pretty broad, but it does make logical sense if everything he's alleging to back up his theory is true. Okay. So it's believed that young girls who are victims of sexual abuse are also more likely to be affected by poltergeist activity. I had never heard that. Okay,
2: that's interesting. But sure,
1: he shared that as if that's common knowledge. Hmm. Um, and so maybe that is in people who spend more time studying like paranormal stuff and poltergeisty stuff. So that's just what people say. So Mm -hmm. another reason is that because the torture started after Betsy was given her own room when her sister Esther had left the home when Betsy was 12.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: The spirit then left shortly after John had died. Another extremely odd and terrible thing here is that John Bell married his wife, Lucy, when he was 32 And she was 12.
2: Oh, don't like that. No. Oof.
1: This isn't the only demonstrably true piece of evidence that good old John Bell wasn't all he was cracked up to be. So John had been involved in some extremely shady dealings involving lending out a slave and then charging a ridiculously high interest fee and then like prolonging the trade, which Do we really need to discuss how bad it is? Right. It's bad enough that he was lending out a full human that he owned Mm -hmm. to work for another human for money that he would make.
2: Not the slave. Yeah.
1: Let alone that he was just trying to give his already fat pockets some extra cushioning. Oh, yeah. So gross. So I hate that. So the Bells had also been kicked out of their church in Adams. Hmm. He'd also killed a man. Oh, pretty sure this happened in North Carolina. Uh, Before they moved down Mm -hmm. and it was ruled to be self-defense, but he still killed someone in the various diaries written by different members of the Bell family. It said that when they asked the witch why she wanted to kill John, she actually gave them a reason why, but none of them wanted to disclose that reason in their writings. None of Hmm. them. They all knew why, but none of them wrote down, write it
2: down. Why? Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: They had allowed strangers from all over the country into their house to solve the mystery, but they wouldn't tell anyone why the witch was tormenting them to begin with, even though she straight up told them why. Hmm. That's shady. Doesn't yeah, that necessarily shady. mean he's guilty, but that's shady.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: shady.
1: I don't, I don't trust that. Yeah. One other thing that Monahan talks about in his book is that he believes that Betsy had been the one responsible for poisoning the father. Hmm. The journals documented John's health decline in the years leading up to his death, and it's remarkably consistent with gradual poisoning. Hmm. Betsy's sudden health ailments could also be explained by this, because if she was exposed to the poison herself, or if she was, like, microdosing herself, essentially, it could account for the various things that she had also been suffering from, only to never suffer from those things once her father died.
0: Right. It um, just stopped.
1: So yeah. it's possible. Betsy allegedly admitted to this in a hypnosis session years later. The session hasn't been confirmed, but it's been reported in a few places. Hmm. Okay. So before we move on, I feel like we should kind of toss some of that back and forth between the two of us. I'm to okay. see what you think of that. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I mean, there are... <laughs> you laid out a lot of reasons to assume that John Sr., was not so good a guy, mm-hmm. not a stand-up guy, mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't
1: necessarily mean he was committing those sorts of acts against his daughter, but it, like it doesn't look good,
2: right? Well, and it's just like this. Is, this is where it gets to be a little bit fuzzy. Is any time that you have like historical data like that,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and nobody in that area wants to totally for sure um corroborate a story Mm -hmm. it's like i don't want to say it's a guarantee hoax sure but like the odds of it being being made up later Mm -hmm. are higher yeah because like at least one person would have corroborated that or there would have Mm -hmm. been been like disagreement that would have been like fleshed out later right um till as like a cover up so it would have been like obvious that someone was covering it up um or it would have been obvious that it was like everybody agreed and had consensus that this was true mm-hmm. instead there's just too much like uncertainty that it seems like it, it it must be not must be but the odds are pretty like high that that's a fabricated story
0: mm-hmm.
2: later on right just because there's room for someone to to fabricate something you know yeah that being said um i don't have any ties to this person and it was 200 years ago so uh there's a part of me that wants to be like yeah that guy's messed up and right. he obviously did it you know <laughs> like right. sure
1: like, well and some people did say i can't remember which of the books um that i read this said i didn't write it down but a lot of people believe that what was happening was that he'd gotten caught Mm. doing it and the sounds and the crazy things that were happening were like orchestrated either by like neighbors who may have seen it potentially by other bell family members who may mm. have seen it or knew about it, mm-hmm. potentially slaves that had seen it, like ones that worked inside of the home or even outside of the home that were like yeah. sneaking out. Yeah. Um. And so they were kind of orchestrating the torture mm-hmm. of the family Um, Hmm. and they were trying to make it obvious so that maybe somebody would fully catch him. Right. Because I kind of mentioned it earlier also that they didn't have much in regards to like an authority at the time that was like, like a local governing. Oh, right. Yeah. Authority. So how are you going to handle something like that and make it stop? Mm. Also early 1800s, there's not a great culture now in dealing with sexual assault especially right you know not especially but including the assault of minors Mm -hmm. especially by a family member right it's hard to get that reported it's hard to get that investigated it's hard to be taken seriously and now and this was 200 years ago right if that was true
2: when people are marrying
1: 12 year olds 20, 20 years younger than you when one of them's a child yeah Like, I have no issue with age gaps when it's between two adults. Right. Like, whatever. Do your thing. I'm going to mind my own business. (laughs) Yeah. But when it's a child.
2: Yeah, that's. And his daughter just
1: so happened to be the same age as his wife was when he married her.
2: Yeah. Mm, Don't like it. Mm -hmm. Don't like it. I guess. So. At at the end of the day, like, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of room for speculation one way or the other. Sure. But, <laughs> that being said, there's also way too much going on to just, like, write it all off as bad luck. Mm-hmm. You know? Or to um, write
1: all of it off as fake when there were, like, a lot of witnesses. Yeah. I mean, it's also possible that they said that there was a lot of witnesses and all this is a bunch of garbage, but, like, well, sure, we're suspending disbelief here and we're trying to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> right.
2: Well, and the thing is, none of that would explain the modern experiences that have happened mm-hmm. since 1992.
1: Yeah. Did or, you ever see the book or sorry, see the movie American Hunting?
2: Um, it was literally know.
1: this story and they worked through that theory.
2: Really? Uh-huh. Oh, crazy. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen
1: that. I feel like, was it Emily Browning who played Betsy? I can't remember. I remember <laughs> watching it at my BFF's house mm. and she lives in the country or lived in the country at the time on a farm. And mm. so it was like extra spooky.
2: Yeah. That would be spooky
1: and sad. I remember I cried. Yeah.
2: Well and that's the thing is is if we were to assume that there was abuse happening like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. um there's also reason to like Maybe not assume, but it'd be reasonable for someone with certain spiritual backgrounds to say, oh, well, that specific action actually opens up a portal as well. Sure. And creates more and more chaos and more and more spiritual influence and Mm -hmm. demonic influence and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of just spirals out of control that much faster.
1: Yeah. Well, if you also remember at the beginning, I was talking about how it was an area that had been previously settled by Native Mm -hmm. Americans that was later confirmed. And they abandoned it because they said it was cursed.
0: Oh, yeah, And that's
1: so right. they could have been experiencing all sorts of wacky spirit <sighs> activity yeah. that was very clearly not members of their tribe. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, we got to get out of here. Yeah. We've done something that we've opened up something that yeah. we didn't realize would happen. You know,
2: the shamans from 3000 years ago, <laughs> just yeah. caused some problems for everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, who knows, man. But Ooh. yeah. Yeah. So th- that's just a moment of trying to trying to be the ones to debunk it ourselves. There you know? we go. That's it. I don't know. I don't know what I think. I don't know what I you think. Don't. I don't know if I believe all of it, if I believe none of it. I am mm-hmm. I tend to be, like I said before, like in any stories like this, I'm so bought in. <laughs> like I'm so bought in. And, you know, in this one, it's like I actually like my heart hopes all of this is fake because that would be really tragic. If right, right. The, all of this was true, but then it's also like my, the other half of my heart is like, I want all of this to be like all of the ghosty stuff to be true mm-hmm. because that's so crazy. Like yeah. what a crazy world we live in and that would make it even crazier, you right. know? So yeah, I don't really know what I think. <laughs> I don't know. Don't yeah. ask me cause I don't know. <laughs> okay. So let's keep moving. As for the cave today, from what I could tell, Chris and Walter still own the property. The Bell Witch Cave was placed on the National Historic Registry in 2008, and tours run from May through October every year. You have to sign a waiver in order to get in, hmm. which okay. freaks me out a little bit. And there are a few restrictions, but I'll link the site so you can check it out and maybe go visit. If you do, maybe you'll catch a picture of one of the spirits for yourself. It should be noted that visitors should never take anything from the cave. If you do, you may be at risk for serious bodily harm or even death, according to Chris. Mm. She's told stories that somebody's taken something, like she's like saw a lady pick up a rock
0: mm.
1: or like a, just um, something that had fallen. And she's yeah. like, hey, like, I don't really mind if you're like going for a souvenir, but like, I don't think you should do that. Yeah. And then like the lady got an accident. E- yes, like not okay. great. Yeah. So if, once again, I'm just going to take Chris at her word. Mm-hmm. Don't take anything from the cave, not even a pebble. Don't do it. So I mentioned a few different books here that I'll also link in the show notes for you to read. Each of them kind of have a different focus on the specific aspects of the story that, you know, each of the authors decide to focus on. Mm -hmm. So you should check those out. We've got Bell Witch, The Truth Exposed, An Authenticated History of the Bell Witch, and The Bell Witch. Mm. I could honestly keep going on this story for like hours because (laughs) there is tons of information. Yeah, there's just tons of information out there, and it's also wild and like scary and interesting. But that is all that I have for you this week. Wow, my voice made it barely. You, I made squeaked it. into the end. <laughs> I need to go do a nebulizer treatment. There you go. Put my little dinosaur mask on, and yeah,
2: yeah, and get get your get your throat nice and nice and healed.
1: Yeah, my little airwaves are struggling. Wow. But yeah, that's what I have for you. The old Bell Witch.
2: That was a crazy story. And my goodness, like
1: all over the place, right? all over
2: the place. Lots of goosebumpery, lots of uh, laughs, surprisingly enough. Yeah, weirdly. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that one comes full circle to like just cover the whole gamut. This was a great episode. This was a great story. Let me wrap us up.
1: Before you do, I just have one more thought. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminded me. When I really got going, because I had like a basic overview of what had happened with the Bell family specifically. Mm -hmm. Like I knew that part of the story, but I didn't know any of the more recent stuff. Mm. And so it was kind of for me a little bit like when I covered Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. And it was like I actually kind of had no clue how big and like broad Mm. the story was. How many things that you would never guess would be tied to a story about a witch. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't even really a witch. There was no witch to be seen, literally. Right. Um. Yeah, it it kind of just reminded me of that. I Once I kind of opened up the can, couldn't fit anything back in it because right. it was like, holy crap. Pandora's a box. Yeah. Yes, there's just a lot. <laughs> and, and it covers so many, like such an array of paranormal topics. So yes. I had a lot of fun putting this together and I had a really hard time narrowing down what to talk about. Obviously. So if it's like a little disjointed <laughs> because I've like cut this was like a long one yes and i cut huge chunks of it to try and condense it so i don't know if it even made logical sense but
2: oh it made logical sense and it is crazy but it is also quite long yeah so. sorry
1: guys <laughs> but well, I think you're welcome i think that's fun <laughs> i think a
2: lot of listeners will enjoy Happy uh, October, a, a real in-depth story this this week so well thank you for listening to episode 20 of the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. just gonna say all all of it. All of it. All of it in all different ways. Check,
1: check, check.
2: Check, check, check. I said it's a marquee episode at the beginning, and I am doubling down on that.
1: I'm just gonna call it triple checked.
2: Marquee triple checked. Ooh. Do, does it all. Does oh. it all it's a Are three? You three bars tool. Right now? That's me. I'm my rap game is strong, but no oh my know. gosh
1: everybody needs to know about your uh sidelined rap career my McNasty. that's
2: right mcnasty mm-hmm. yep is a it's a it's an alter ego really yeah but
1: All right. Sorry.
2: That's okay. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure that you are subscribed so you don't miss any more and leave a glowing five-star review. Um, It helps other people to find this podcast when it has many five-star reviews. Also, make sure that you follow us on all the social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, at this one is a doozy and on Facebook, this one's a doozy podcast. You can also email us This one is a doozy at gmail.com. And, uh, if you're catching this early enough in the game, we are still taking personal stories.
1: We're Um, always taking personal stories. You might just have to wait to hear yours read,
2: right? We're taking personal stories right now for an episode that's coming up in just a few episodes. So on
1: Halloween, that's
2: right. So get, get it in, send it in. I know one person is going to send an audio recording.
1: Yes. I'm looking forward to that.
2: And, uh, yeah, that's I don't know if we're going to play theirs or if we're going to write it all down and then recite it ourselves. I have no idea what the plan is going to be for that, but I think it's going to be awesome regardless. And uh, yeah, honestly, that's I'm very excited about that episode. Also, same Gmail account. This one is a doozy at gmail.com. Uh, send us any recommendations that you have. If you really mm-hmm. loved the story of the Bell Witch and maybe you know about another story similar or if you've seen Bigfoot or whatever, like we, if we've you've
1: opened a portal.
2: If you've opened a, a portal personally, if I you know, know, yeah, if you know of a portal somewhere that you live and you want us to l- learn about it and cover it. Uh, yeah. Make the recommendations, you know, portals. you know what you're doing, all the portals. So those are the ways to stay connected with us. Please, please connect with us and tell us all about your experiences. We love it with that We will see you not next week, but in just a few days for another bonus episode of another doozy.
1: We sure will. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye.